is like perfect. It's one of those chapters, if you've never read it in your life, it will just blow your mind. And just as Kat was praying, and by the way, didn't Kat do an amazing job? I mean, <sighs> you, we, we, us sitting there in the audience have no idea, not only the preparation that goes behind the scenes on the, you know, especially Wednesday nights with Kat just being up here all by herself, you know, having to go out, buy strings, you know, put on the strings, and then one of them breaking, you know, just all the unforeseen circumstances of life, and then to lead us in worship as if, you know, it didn't even happen. It's one of those amazing uh, abilities, talents, gifts that um, Kat has. Uh, but it, it's the perfect segue to Jeremiah chapter 18. Because in Jeremiah chapter 18, we're going to see two different illustrations, one in 18 and then one in 19 of the same exact instrument, the same exact uh, item, uh, just in two different states. And in Jeremiah chapter 18, uh, we pick up the story where we left it off last week the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up or to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plan it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now everyone from his evil way, Make your ways and your doings uh, good. So, for Father, tonight as we approach your throne room, as we look at these amazing chapters in the middle of Jeremiah, that you would open up our eyes, uh, help us not not just to you know judge a nation that was um, here some twenty five hundred years ago that had problems and was going through one of the worst times in their history and, and disaster was befalling them because of their evil ways. But help us, Lord, tonight to be able to see just as relevant this is to today. Like, like opening up 
the newspaper, seeing exactly the same dire warnings. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us as we approach this amazing section in the scripture, that you would help us to apply it to our own lives, to, to look at our own uh, hearts, to examine our own ways, uh, that do we pursue uh, evil or do we pursue good? And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us to focus upon you. Thank you so much for these, my friends, my family that are here tonight. That you would prepare our hearts for communion. That you would prepare our hearts for uh, that ability to be able to come before you, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you accept us, that you love us, and that you want to have fellowship with us. And so, Lord, I ask you uh, help us tonight to have that desire, that focus, Lord. Uh, we lift up to you our, our pastors, our elders, that you would just give them wisdom and, and guidance in our, our church. I thank you so much for blessing us with men that love you with all their hearts as they guide this church, Lord. And I ask that you would be with those that are ministering, even to our kids tonight, Lord, that you would just uh, encourage them, strengthen them after many, many long uh, weeks and just serving the kids you would just give them that that rest their their desire to be able to minister to our own kids lord and lord i thank you so much for your holy spirit that's here not right now moving in our midst help us to recognize that to be able to understand that you are here with us now in jesus name we pray amen and amen have you ever, you know, those, those thoughts that go through your mind, you know, why does God bring certain situations into our lives? Why does he allow trials? Why does he allow problems, you know? And, and in many cases, as we, we see in this passage here, it's, it's to mold us. It's to bring us to a place where he's making us not only in his image, but the privilege of being used uh, by the Lord. Not only as we've been going through uh, the book of Romans on Sundays, uh, in chapter 9, once we get there, you're going to see the same illustration being used, going back to the time of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is being taken by God to this crafter's house, this, this artisan's house, this person whose job was to take a, a lump of dirt, a lump of clay, something that had no purpose other than to be in the ground, uh, to take that clay, mix it with the right amount of water, put it on a spinning wheel, and make something that not only was usable, but could also be beautiful as well. Can you imagine, you know, if you were to go to a museum or a place where there's a vase or some sort of pottery, right? And, and you've probably seen it on the news or appraisals or whatever, you know, some sort of a show that shows antiques. So what are those vases? What the, can they be worth? Exorbitant amounts of money, right? Depending upon the maker, depending upon the one who made it 
or the time period or the way it was made or, or the materials that it was made out of or the detail of the decoration. And the same thing is happening here in Jeremiah. You see, Jeremiah is taken to this place, this lump of clay, and the potter, he's making this lump of clay, and something happens to it, right? It's marred, as the Bible says. There, there, there's a flaw in it. And the great thing about clay is, what can you do with that clay? And squish it up again, put it back, and remake it, right? As long as it is pliable, as long as it's still wet, as long as it hasn't been dried or fired yet, as long as it hasn't been set, as, as long as that clay is moldable, it can be made into anything that the potter wishes, right? And by the way, just to get it out there, who's in charge of that clay? Is it the clay? Does the clay say, oh, I want to be made into this? No, who's in charge? The potter. We all understand that. And the ideas we're going to see, and by the way, we're going to see the same lump of clay in two different states. We're going to see it before it is fired and after it is fired. We're going to see what happens to that same lump of clay when it's pliable and when it's hard and brittle and can no longer be moldable. The same exact substance, just in two different states. Two different chapters, by the way. One right after another. The great thing about going through a book, we get to see it. It's, we're not just taking little verses out of here. We're not just, you know, taking a paragraph or a, a topic. We're, we're able to see the sequence of events that God is taking Jeremiah through and the people of Jerusalem as well. And for those of you that have been here for a while, we've been going through the book of Jeremiah. We are in the middle of the book of Jeremiah uh, now. Uh, the nation of Babylon is surrounding the walls of the city. We're going to see the most dire time in the history of the nation of Judah during this time that Jeremiah is here. The prediction that Jeremiah has given to the people is, you will go through one of the most disastrous times in the history of Judah. So much so, we're going to see what is going to happen later on in just a couple of chapters. Whereas Kat was reading, they're literally going to be destroying themselves. There's going to be a famine. There's going to be a drought. There's going to be no water, no food. It is going to be horrendous within the walls of the city. So Jeremiah, he brings this message. But the message is the understanding not just of a, a person, but of a nation. And we can understand a person. God, God molds me. I, I'm submitting to the will of God. I, I, I understand that in a, in a theological or spiritual sense. Monday nights, we've been going through the, the spiritual gifts. The, the men have been going through the spiritual gifts. And, and one of the chapters that we read in Romans chapter 12, we, we learned that it's the Holy Spirit that distributes the, the spiritual gifts. 
It's the Holy Spirit that chooses who gets the, the spiritual gifts and to what degree we get them. Now, the privilege is, once you get to chapter 14 of Romans, is that you can ask also. That's the amazing thing. I can ask for one of the gifts. I, I can ask for it to be used to edify and build up the church, the body of Christ. And it's the same thing that we see here. You see, yes, we are a lump of clay, but do we have the privilege of understanding that I can do evil or I can do good? That I can resist the will of God or I can submit to the will of God? We see this here. In verse 7, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up or to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, if you repent, if you stop backsliding, as Jeremiah talked about earlier in the book, I will relent to the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. Isn't that amazing? That, that I can talk to the God of the universe, the, the God of the, the Bible, the God of the one that we worship, I can talk to him directly. And he hears our heart and he sees our actions. That we can repent and the Lord will do what? Relent. Repent. And relent. But the opposite is also true. Verse 9. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. The understanding that God also sees the opposite as well. That in the case of Israel being called by God, and of course, we know that this has been over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, that God had chosen the nation of Israel to be his representatives here on earth, to have the tabernacle and then the temple in its very midst, uh, to be the ones that would be the blessings to the world. And what did they do? They squandered. They squandered the blessings of God. And so instead of blessing them, what is God going to do? He's going to discipline them. And so they are going to be taken away into captivity for 70 years. Babylon is going to come in and destroy them. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, which of these examples, which of these pieces of clay, which of these resistances or relentings is God going to do to Jerusalem? Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Oh, oh, we love Jeremiah chapter 29. We, we love Jeremiah chapter 27. We love those chapters where God is saying, I have a blessing for you or a plan for you. What for your good? You see, this is the plan that he has for the nation of Israel. We're going to see that when we get it to the context of the verse. But it's for their good. 
Can discipline be for your good? Yes. Can the chastening of the Lord be for our good? Yes, it can. Does it hurt during the time of the spanking? Yes. But what's the end result? It's to bring you back to the land. To bring you repented back to the place where you left the Lord. Where, where I left the Lord. To, to a place where we can be moldable again. And no longer hard-hearted or stiff-necked like the people of Israel. It concludes like this in verse 11. Return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings uh, good. It continues on there in verse 12. We see the whole context of this chapter. And they said, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans and we will every one obey the dictates of his evil heart. Last week we learned that the people of Israel literally had put their sins as if a diamond tipped stylus, iron stylus, was used to literally engrave their own sins onto their heart. That, that's how deep the evil went into their own soul. And rather than submitting to the will of God, what do they want to do? And maybe you've been in the same situation. Maybe I've been in the same situation where it feels like, well, everything is against me. I'll just do whatever I want. I'll just party as long as I want. I'll just do whatever I want. It's okay. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. What will be, will be, right? But the understanding is, does God want to change in our lives? That, that fingerprint of the artisan that's valuable. That signature of the artisan that's valuable. That stamp of the artisan that's valuable. That without the, the same exact piece of equipment or the same exact pottery or the same exact painting or the same exact whatever artistry is totally worthless without because it's the stamp of the artist that makes it valuable everything else is what an imitation a counterfeit a copy but if it's the original and by the way, there's only one of each of you. We're going to see that as we walk through. You're, you're molded by the God of the universe. Verse 13, therefore thus says the Lord, ask now among the Gentiles who have heard such thing, the virgin of Israel has done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for the strange waters? Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols, and they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in paths and not on a highway, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished. 
and shake his head. I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. The example of studying being a, a good example to the nations, what now is going to happen to the nation of Israel? It's the opposite. It's the bad example. It's the nation that the other nations are going to hate because of the tragedy that's going to befall them. Where literally when someone would walk by the torn down walls of Jerusalem or, or the torn down temple, they're going to shake their head because of the destruction that has befell this beautiful city. This once massive empire that literally during the time of King Solomon, during the time of King David was literally the center of the world. But now is just a desolate heap. A place where people walk by with derision, as the Bible says in these verses. But what's the reason why? It's because of what they've done. Instead of following after the one who made a covenant with them, the one that, as the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, that they were married to, what has happened to them? They've turned their back on the God that loved them first. They, they turned their back on the one who blessed them. They, they turned their back on the one that had their good in his forefront of his mind. And what have they done instead? shunned him, turned their back on him. And by the way, if you, you want to get a, a better example of this, just read the book of Hosea. It's one of those amazing uh, books that describe this in even greater detail. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 18, it continues on there. And then they said, come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us attach him with the tongue and let us not give heed to any of his words. So what's the result of this prophecy that Jeremiah is giving? They can't attack God. They, they can't blame God. They can't fight against God. So who do they fight against? The one that brought the message, the messenger, the prophet. The one that, by the way, has done nothing wrong and yet is going to experience the same exact things that the people behind the wall that deserve the punishment are going to go through. Do you understand that? That Jeremiah is willingly staying with the people of Jerusalem. To go through what they are going through. To go through the same famine, the same squalor, the same drought, the same besiegements as those people. Yet he doesn't deserve to be behind those walls. As the prophet of God. Do you understand that? You see, he could have been like Daniel. Daniel was alive at this time. But where was he? in a palace in Babylon, going to school, eating of those things that, you know, the, the palace had, being able to experience the, the palace life. 
course, having to go through the lion's den. We all know that. Or, or, or like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they were alive at this time. Where were they at? They were also in Babylon. They, they were taken away by, by, the, by the first wave. They, they were the first captives taken out. Or Jeremiah could have been like Ezekiel. Ezekiel was alive at this time. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah. Where was he? River Kibar in the land of Babylon also. But instead, where's Jeremiah? What, what is the ministry or the message of Jeremiah? It's to a hard-hearted, stiff-necked people that do not want to repent, that are behind Jerusalem walls about ready to be killed. And Jeremiah has to endure their hatred Instead of, you know, going to a, a plush place or, or uh, you know, a, a place where he could have at least used his talents like Ezekiel. Instead, where is he at? He's about ready to be punched in the mouth, put into a pit. Because the people that he's ministering to don't like his message. In fact, that's exactly what happens in verse 19. Give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of these who contend with me. Shall evil be repaid for good? For they have dug a pit for my life. Remember that I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore, deliver up their children to the famine pour out their blood by the force of the sword. Let their wives become widows and bereaved of their children. Let their men be put to death. Their young men be slain by the sword in battle. This is the prophet Jeremiah that's saying this, by the way. Lord, leave them to their fate. You know, we, 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 we've been reading this, we've been going through this a couple of months, but this is literally years and years and years of ministry where it feels like it's fruitless. What is that like? Where, where there's no, uh, you know, attaboys or clapping when you do something that's good. When all that you have are people that hate your guts. They just want to see you fall. They just want to see you fail. This is what Jeremiah is going through. It gets worse, by the way, in verses 22 and 23. Let a cry be heard from their houses when you bring a troop suddenly upon them, for they have dug a pit to take me and hidden snares for my feet. Yep, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your side, but let them be overthrown before you. Deal this with them in the time of your anger. You see, Jeremiah writes during this time when he's in the pit, the book of Lamentations. The very next book after this book, by the way. Jeremiah, of course, was the only one of the prophets that wrote two of the books in our Bible, Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. Lamentations, seven chapters, very poetic, very, you know, um, uh, depressing, if you will. <laughs> it, but in the middle of it has hope. 
the understanding that if I put my mind to this, if I recall to my mind all the things that God has done, then I'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt every single time that sun rises that his mercies are new every day. His loving kindnesses will never fail. Why? Because he's a great God. And this is the one that we serve. Maybe your ministry is hard. Maybe people that you witness to in your own life, they don't like you for it. Maybe there's someone that you've been praying for for a very, very, very long time. And it feels like God isn't answering your prayer. Don't give up. Don't give up. You see, Jeremiah's ministry, he's not going to give up. And he's going to see an amazing transformation later on at the end of the book. <clears throat> Verse, or chapter 19, it continues on. <clears throat> we see the same lump of clay now fired. We, we see the same moldable item now fired. Chapter 19, verse 1, thus says the Lord, go and get a potter's earthen flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words that I will tell you and say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will uh, tingle. Have you ever had one of those <clears throat> aha moments? Why is chapter 18 and chapter 19 one right after another? Why does the Bible have perfect harmony in the way that uh, it is presented. You see, so many times as we read the Bible, if we were just to read through it, we would see the context and understand things uh, so much more easily. The understanding that this same lump of clay is the same exact one that is used in both chapters. Just one is pliable, usable, and the other is about ready to be smashed against a wall and shattered. Destroyed. Same material. Same material. But a different process. Different state. It's the hardness. It's the brittleness. It's one can be changed and another can't be changed. No, one can be used for specific purposes and the other is about ready to be thrown in a trash heap. By, by the way, I mean, this, this, I mean, this is guy stuff because it's amazing. You know, this is how they got rid of their pottery, by the way. This, this whole valley was filled with potsherd. That's why it's called the, the potsherd gate. It's the place where you would take your, you know, um, dirty dishes and throw them against the wall or throw them in a pile. It's the perfect way and just go out and get a new dish, right? Or make a new dish or whatever. It's the, you know, the disposable plates. 
It's the place where they would take their cracked pottery, throw it out into these big heaps. But unfortunately, this was also a place where they uh, worshipped foreign gods or idols that required human sacrifice as well. This was the refuse heap. This was just south of what was called the Zion Gate, where King David himself was buried, by the way. You can go there today, even. Uh, I've been to the, the tomb where the supposed place is and where David is buried, just within a 500 feet, 600 feet south of this same place. This is where Jeremiah is taking the elders, the other priests, the other people that are in leadership within the religious circles of Jerusalem, and showing them this illustration, you are like a brittle pot that, that is no longer able to be molded. And this is what God is going to do. He's going to break you. By the way, this was the nickname or, or the, you know, the term that God uses many, many times for the nation of Israel. They were hard-hearted, stiff-necked. A hard heart is something that can't be molded. It's no longer pliable. It, it, it's the heart that is caked with sin. It, it is the heart that is so hard that nothing can break through it. Or it's the neck that can't move. It, it's the neck that... You know, and many of you, you know, just ask Kevin, just ask Dominic, just, just ask Diane, those of you that have gone through, whether it's a, some sort of a, a neck surgery or a back surgery, how hard it is to turn the neck if it is fixed in one position. But God is going to mold the people of Israel. He's going to bring them to that point of brokenness. In Jeremiah chapter 7, we saw the same exact illustration here. In fact, it's going to be repeated again in the same chapter. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31, we read earlier a couple of months ago. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. Exactly what Kat was reading earlier in worship. That this place that would never even have come into the very thoughts or imagination of a holy and righteous God. And in the depravity of our own hearts, what have the people of Israel done? Sacrifice their own children. And of course, you know, we would never do that, right? Happens all the time. Happens all the time. We just do it in a clinic, right? We just do it before they come out of the womb. We just put them into plastic bags. It's horrific, right? But the illustration is the same. The judgment is coming. Verse 32 of Jeremiah chapter 7, it says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no longer or no more be called Tophet or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. 
for they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. The corpses of the people will be fed or food for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the air, beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the sound of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. For the land shall be desolate, just 900 feet from the city gates, the southernmost part of Jerusalem. This is where it took place. This is where they would sacrifice their own children to foreign gods. Something that God would never have could ever even conceived of doing in his holiness and in his righteousness. The illustration continues on in verse 4 there. And because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place, because they have burned incense in it to other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known and have filled their place with the blood of the innocents. They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind? Do you understand not only the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, the, the, the holiness of God, but, but that God cannot sin. He cannot conceive of sin. He cannot condone sin. He cannot imagine sin. There's no way that the God of the universe, who has always been holy, always been righteous, would even have an inkling to sin or even a, a, a speck of sin. It's impossible. By definition, God cannot sin. And yet that same God came down, and this is the privilege of tonight. We're going to be taking communion in a little bit. That, that, that same God, the God of the universe, who has always been holy, always been righteous, came here to the earth and became sin for us. Bore our sin on his body on the cross so that we could be righteous. The ones that conceive sin in our own hearts, the ones that think of sin, the, the ones that even like to sin. That dream about sin. That are far away from holiness. That God would take sin into his own body on the tree and give us his righteousness. Amazing. Wow. And I can have fellowship with a God like that who loved me enough to send his only righteous son to die for me. It's the privilege that we have to serve a, a righteous and holy uh, God. Verse 6, it continues on. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that this place shall no longer be called Tophet, exactly what it said in chapter 7, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, and I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place. I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hands of those who seek their lives, their corpses. I will give as meat to the birds of the heaven 
and of the beasts of the earth. And I will make this city desolate, a hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss because of all of its plagues. And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And everyone shall eat the flesh of his friend in the siege and the desperation in which their enemies and those who seek their lives shall drive them to despair. Something that is unthinkable. The drought and the famine will be so great that what will happen to the inhabitants behind the wall? It's unspeakable. You can read it again for yourselves. I don't want to read it again. What will they be driven to? It's horrible. Where, where the only thing left is the one I love the most. The only thing left is the one that came out of my own body. It's unthinkable. And yet, because of the despair, because of the desperation, as it says in the very last word of verse 9, the despair that they're going through, they will turn to this cannibalism. There's nothing left to eat. They're so desperate. Now you understand this, the direst, the, lo the lowest point in the history of Israel. The, the point where literally the nation of Judah is eating itself. Consuming themselves. It is horrendous. Despair. Beyond human comprehension. By the way, Jeremiah is there too, as an eyewitness to all these things. Verse 10, then you shall break the flask and the side of the men who go with you. After describing what's going to happen in just a few months, shattering that vessel, shattering that clay pot. The sound, the exclamation point at the end of the verse. Is it ingrained in your brain? Do, do, you, do you see it? The accent mark of the, you know, the point of the exclamation. Every time you hear another pot shatter, what are you going to think of? This verse. The despair, the depths of the despair that they are going to go through. Verse 11, and say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, even so I will break this people in this city as one bakes, breaks a potter's vessel which cannot be made whole again. And they shall bury them in Tophet till there is no place to bury. That pot that is no longer moldable. This is what my people have sunk to. Crash. Boom. Shattered. No longer pliable. No longer moldable. Your hearts are so hard. 
Thus I will do to this place, says the Lord, to its inhabitants, and make this city like Tophet, and the houses of Jerusalem, and the houses of the king of Judah shall be defiled like the place of Tophet. You're just a pile of potsherds, dirty dishes out in the field that people just throw out. Because of all the houses of those roofs, they have burned incense to all the hosts of heaven and poured out drink offerings to other gods. Then Jeremiah came to from Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy. And he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, after, after leaving that place where they had sacrificed their own children, after, after shattering that pot, he now goes into the temple itself, the, the, the church of the day, the, the house of God. And what does he say in the last verse of chapter 19? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring on this city and on all her towns, all the doom that I have pronounced against it. Because they have stiffened their necks. That they might not hear my words. Wow. This is hard to hear. It's hard to teach, by the way. It's hard to study. I've had to do this all week. Do you understand what he's saying here? Just like that pot, that, that the only way uh, to change its state again after it's been fired, after it's now hard and brittle, is to smash it against a wall. It's the same thing with the neck, the stiff neck. Is that stiff neck any longer pliable. What would happen if you turn that neck too quickly? Break. And what would happen to the person? Die. Do you see the illustration? God wants pliable hearts. He wants necks that are willing to change. Bodies that are willing to repent. He's giving us that opportunity tonight, by the way. Every time we get to take communion, guess what we get to do? We get to examine our hearts. We get to come before God and say, Lord, please examine me tonight. We, we get the privilege of coming before the God of the universe and saying, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I need to repent. I need to change. I need to be more moldable in your sight. And guess what? He hears. He knows. We have the privilege of doing that tonight. So as we, we go to the book of Matthew, I invite you, just, just come on up. And there's multiple stations. Just grab a, a, a cup. It has both elements in it. And just hold it in your hands. Just hold it in, in your hands tonight. As we're going to be partaking of this together corporately. And the only requirement, by the way, for partaking in communion is, do you have a relationship with God? It's not if you, you know, are 
a member of our church or, or consistently go to church even, but do you have a relationship with God? Because this is communion. This represents your relationship with God. And the desire of having communion with God, the privilege of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that I can have fellowship, I can have communion with the God of the universe. And he's offering that to you tonight. Do you know God personally? That's the first step. And then as we partake of it together, the examination of our own heart. Is there any unrepentant sin in my heart? Is there maybe a, a person I need to go to or, or, or a situation in my life that I need to repent of, a, an addiction or something that I'm struggling with, Lord? Is God greater than those things? Can God forgive you? The God of the universe that doesn't even conceive of sin, who came down to be sin for you, made you holy and righteous. So in the book of Matthew, we read this, and I, I love these, these verses here. As Jesus takes of what is called the, the Last Supper. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to the disciples. The illustration is the same, by the way, that we saw in the book of Jeremiah. Now, of course, this is just a wafer. Back then, what was the meal that they shared? What was the bread like? It was unleavened bread. It was a cracker, right? It was, it was something that was flat. It, it didn't have the, you know, the big poofy white bread because, of course, this was taken during what was called the Passover. And were they allowed to have leaven at this time? No, they weren't. This was just a flat piece of bread. But what would they do with that flat piece of bread? They would, as it was passed around, they would tear off that bread. And the illustrations we're going to see here is that just like that bread, which represents the body of Jesus Christ, it was torn for us. He was bruised for our iniquities, our sins. So before we, we take of this, before we uh, partake of the elements, I'm just going to give you a, a, you know, a couple of minutes here. I examine your hearts as you're holding the elements in your hands. To know that not only do we have the privilege of communion, but also the understanding that as we come before the Lord tonight, that we're doing it in a, what was called a, a worthy uh, manner. So, Lord, tonight as we examine our own hearts, whether it's those places that we know that we're, we sin so easily or, or maybe
maybe just the struggles that we go through in our own lives, Lord. And before we, we partake of this, Lord, I ask that you would help us to examine our hearts. That you would, Your Holy Spirit would move, show us, reveal to us those things that we need to repent of tonight. Do you see the picture of the Last Supper? Verse 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, this is the privilege that we have tonight to do it together. Take, eat. This is my body. Verse 27, then he took the cup and he gave thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Now, of course, the illustration again is just like that piece of bread. These weren't individual cups. This was a cup that was passed around. Everyone around that table drank from the same exact cup. Jesus Christ, the one that was righteous, the one that's going to die for their sins, the betrayer that's sitting at the table right next to Jesus, by the way. And then, of course, the other betrayer that's going to deny Jesus Christ three times is also sitting there at that table, along with the other disciples that also have sin in their own hearts. The privilege that we have knowing that not only does Jesus Christ sin, our Jesus Christ's blood cover our sin. But the privilege that our sins are taken away. As far as the east is from the west, this is exactly what it says here. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. That our sins are taken away. So we drink this together. And then the reminder that we remember every single month when we take this at the beginning of the month, that reminder that this isn't just something that we get the privilege of doing here on the earth, but when we see Jesus Christ again, this is what we get to do. But in, to a greater extent, as it says in the next part, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on, until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The privilege that we have, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we can also experience this new with Jesus Christ in heaven for all of eternity. And this is why it's for the children of God. This is why it's for those that believe. It's for those that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But of course, it doesn't end there. Those of you that come on Wednesday nights know that we do this. Verse 30, the very next verse, after they had partaken of this amazing feast in the upper room, the Last Supper, what did they do when they had sung a hymn? They went out to the Mount of Olives. And tonight we get the privilege of singing a hymn. I'm just going to read the 
the third verse before we, we sing it. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, all power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Please stand with me as we sing this song together. Now, you may have never heard this song before. I don't have a guitar or anything like that. But by the third verse, you're going to know the tune. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yield it and still. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and dry me, Savior, today. Wash me now, just now. Wash me just now, as in thy presence humbly I bow. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, all power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold o'er my being, absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit, till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. So, Father, tonight as we go our separate ways, as we go into the world, as we go back to our homes, as we um, understand that, yes, tomorrow we have to wake up and go to work or do it all over again, that the problems are going to still be there. But the privilege of knowing that you're there with us, even in the direst of times, even in the despair, that you're still there. And so, Lord, please forgive us when our hearts are made hard by us, our necks are made stiff by us. Lord, please mold us. Please help us to submit to your will. Help us to be humble and pliable. Help us, to, help us to desire to be used by you. And so, Lord, I ask you bless these my friends tonight, my family, those that are here, those that are online, those that may be watching later on this week, that you would just bless them. Help them to desire you more, 
to be used by you more, to glorify you and whatever may be coming on in their lives, that our hearts would be changed when we leave this place tonight, that we would be different than when we came in, that we would have hearts that want to be changed by you, the one, the perfect one, the holy one, the righteous one, who never even once thought of sin and yet came to this earth to be sin for us. Lord, we thank you. Remind us of that today. Remind us of that tomorrow. Remind us of that the next day. Lord, and just like Kat reminded us of, us of this tonight, that we can even do this ourselves at home. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe the next day. We can have communion with you at any time. Not just the first Wednesday of the month or the first Sunday of the month. We can come before you and have that fellowship with you more and more. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege that we have to come before you. I thank you for your word, the, the aptness of your word, the, the perfect timing of your word tonight. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.